Welcome to Postscript, the American Society for Pharmacy Laws podcast. My name is Henry Hine, and I'll be your host today. The American Society for Pharmacy Law, ASPL, has an annual conference in the fall entitled Developments in Pharmacy Law. We focus on presenters, experts, and speakers providing the latest and most important developments in pharmacy law each and every year. This year, we have over two dozen speakers at the conference. The conference is being held in Naples, Florida, November 3rd through 6th. All are welcome. Attendees can receive up to 15 hours of CE in pharmacy, 15 hours of CE in law, and if you would prefer, both 15 hours of CE in pharmacy and law. Registration for the conference is available at ASPL.org. In this podcast series, we feature a few of the conference speakers with two goals in mind. First, we would like to get a better feel for where they've been in their career and where they are now professionally. Second, we would like to get a little tidbit of what they're going to speak about at the conference. Today, we are honored to have two guests. We have Mark Ogunchosi and Bill Von Osen. Both are attorneys with Powers Law Firm. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you. All right. So as I just indicated, before before we get to a, a little tidbit about your presentation this year, we'd like to hear a little bit more about where you are professionally today and how you got to your position today. And let's go ahead and start, Bill, if you could just give us a little bit of back background and where you are in your uh, in your job and your profession at this time. Great. Well, thank you, Henry. Um, yes, my I'm in um, private practice, um, and my practice uh, relates primarily to the federal 340B drug pricing program. Uh, this is a program established by Congress 30 years ago. Actually, this year, the program is celebrating its 30th anniversary. Um, and it, uh, it requires uh, manufacturers to give deep discounts on outpatient drugs um, to a collection of purchasers that we commonly refer to as safety net providers. These are governmental or nonprofit hospitals or clinics that serve uh, large numbers of low-income patients, uh, regardless of their ability to pay. Um, you know, our, our country does not have uh, national health insurance, but what it does have is a network of hospitals and clinics that uh, serve anybody regardless of their ability to pay. So it really is the safety net is where most low-income patients receive their care. And so this was an effort by Congress to um, support these, uh, these safety net providers without increasing the burden on taxpayers, because um, most of the patients are uh, uninsured or underinsured um, and uh, are uh, highly dependent on taxpayer support. So if through this program you can lower the cost of drugs, that's money that... Um, can be used to, to invest in patient care and uh, doesn't require uh, taxpayers to foot the bill. Um, I was involved with the original drafting of 
the 340B uh, statute back in 1992. Um, I was obviously much younger back then. Um, and it was a it was a law that was introduced by the late Senator Kennedy, um, and it uh, only uh, envisioned that manufacturers would give discounts to uh, federally qualified health centers, Ryan White clinics, and other federal grantees and subgrantees. So, Bill, Bill, if if I might jump in and just ask, so you helped draft this? What, where were you? Were you on the Hill, or you know, who's you know, whose staff were you with, or how, how did that happen? Well, I was working on behalf of the National Association of Public Hospitals. So my charge was to get the hospitals included in this legislation. Gotcha. And so uh, it was too late to get it in the Senate version, uh, but we worked with Congressman Waxman, who at the time was the chair of the um, Energy and Commerce Health Subcommittee, and uh, Congressman Waxman hosted a hearing. We had um, the CFO of Parkland Hospital in Dallas, Texas, come testify. Um, you know, we, we lobbied all the relevant uh, members of the committees, and uh, we were ultimately successful in getting the hospitals uh, included in the program. Um, and so that really was sort of the beginning of my 340B career uh, shortly after it was signed into law. Hospitals started calling me up and asking, well, how do we take advantage of this new drug discount program? And uh, uh, we, we decided to have a, a meeting. You know, none of us had any money. So we met at the Dallas-Fort Worth Holiday Inn. There were about 40 hospitals there. And uh, we decided to create an organization representing the interests of these 340B hospitals. And uh, that organization is today called 340B Health, which represents, um, you know, over a thousand members. It, it's got, it represents most of the uh, the 340B hospitals around the country. I and you, you're, you were a member or a, you know, in that, in that organization? Well, I, so I was founder uh, and then I was president and general counsel of that organization uh, during its early years. Um, yes. But about 15 years ago, I stepped down from that role and have just focused on representing the interests of these, well, really all 340B stakeholders. It's not just the, uh, the hospitals and clinics in the program, although that's the bulk of my practice, but um, they often contract with uh, retail pharmacies through which they dispense these discounted drugs. So we do a lot of work with pharmacies. Um, we, um, these, it's a complicated program. So, uh, these 340B entities need administrators, uh, to help manage the inventory. We do work for the administrators. We, we basically represent all stakeholders except for the drug companies. The, the drug companies don't like this program. So we're, we, we find ourselves often defending the program against, uh, efforts by manufacturers to, to restrict it. Wow, that's 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 a, a very interesting background there, Bill. Um, let's go ahead and move over to Mark. Mark, where are you in your career, and how did you get there? Thanks, Henry. So my name is Mark Ozanchisi. I'm a doctor of pharmacy and attorney at Powers Law Firm here in Washington D.C. Um, my background is, you know, illustrious, but not nearly it pales in the face of Bill's <laughs> illustrious background. Um, I started off working in pharmacies and safety net hospitals 
um, really starting when I was in eighth grade, summer of eighth grade year, I worked at Grady Memorial uh, Hospital in Georgia, which is, you know, safety net hospital, trauma, uh, level one trauma, um, burn centers, probably, you know, the one of the critical backbones of the state of Georgia and the Southeast, really. Um, worked there summers, eighth grade year, ninth grade year, all the way through high school. Um, went to Mercer in Georgia, became a pharmacist, and I have experience ranging from retail pharmacy to state Medicaid managed care organizations and hospital pharmacy. Um, went to Georgetown Law, um, worked in health law since 2013, and had the privilege to begin working at Powers uh, around 2019. So it's been a, a, a great experience delving into 340B. I feel like I have a life, a background of 340B work, but um, but not as nuanced and detailed as I've gotten at Powers Law Firm working under Bill, who helped draft the statute. And what he didn't mention is expand the statute in 2003 um, in uh, 2010. So uh, that's me. So so your, your background today, you are working uh, fundamentally in the 340B area also, like it sounds like. That's correct. Yeah. Represent hospitals, health centers, um, STD clinics, really any covered entity. We represent pharmacies, um, contract pharmacy arrangements, uh, PBM, uh, pharmacy benefit manager, contracting, um, litigation support, um, the whole gamut. Um, and it's not just 340B. I do FDA work. Um, we do uh, Medicare provider appeals here at the firm, and we do a lot of legislative advocacy. We've drafted federal and state laws, uh, federal regulation, state regulation, um, I would say probably at 80 to 90 percent uh, passage rate. A lot of what we draft gets signed in the law. Um, so, yeah, that's the gamut of our work here at Powers. Sounds very interesting. Very good. Um, let, let's go ahead and move on. Um, you're coming to the uh, conference this year. And what is the title of your presentation this year? Yeah, so we, the name of our presentation is Navigating Manufacturer Actions to Restrict 340B Drug Access at Contract Pharmacies critical policies, arguments, and expectations. Um, our presentation will be on Sunday, November 6th uh, at 10.45 a.m. We hope everyone will attend. Um, in my experience when presenting on this topic in the past at other national conferences, um, it's one of the hot button issues and we have a full room and we uh, garner a robust debate. So what we're gonna be doing is presenting the background of the contract pharmacy program. What is a contract pharmacy? It's an outside pharmacy that contracts with a safety net provider, otherwise known as a covered entity to dispense the drugs to the covered entities patients. Um, when the statute was enacted in 1992, only a, a, about 5% of covered entities um, owned or operated in-house pharmacies. They had already been relying on contract pharmacies, um, outside pharmacies to obtain possession and dispense their drugs. Section 340B of the Public Health Service Act um, is a purchasing statute. It sets the price at which covered outpatient drugs may be purchased and it enumerates the covered entity or safety net providers that may purchase the drugs. But critically, the statute does not state who may possess the drugs or who may dispense the drugs. So what we're going to do is go through the, the details of the statute. We're going to look at often well uh, not well understood background on how the statute came about and what Congress intended the statute to include and what Congress intended the statute to exclude. And we're going to focus on whether Congress intended for the statute to permit covered entities to purchase drugs and dispense those drugs through contract pharmacy arrangements. Then we're going to turn to manufacturers' arguments respecting contract pharmacy arrangements and the covered entities' arguments respecting contract pharmacy arrangements. Um, you know, like I mentioned, the statute is silent on distribution. 
So does that mean that covered entities may not purchase drugs at the price if the drug is going to be distributed to a contract pharmacy? We're going to get into the details on that. And then we're going to look at the future of the contract pharmacy, uh, contract pharmacy arrangements within the United States. So just a quick, quick question. You, you mentioned that, that, that in the crowd, there may be a, a um, you know, some a fun uh, disagreement, so to speak. And, and so where are the different entities kind of disagreeing? Just a little tidbit on this. Absolutely. Um, as Bill alluded to earlier, um, you know, the statute really contemplates two main participants, um, drug manufacturers that must offer their drugs at a, at a 340B price and covered entities, 14 types of covered entities that uh, safety net providers that, mu- that may purchase the drugs at that price. So fundamentally, the drug manufacturers are interpreting the silence in the 340B statute regarding pharmacies and distribution as meaning they don't have to offer 340B pricing if the drug is going to be shipped to a contract pharmacy. Alternatively, on the other hand, the covered entities believe that um, the 340B price cannot be limited in any circumstance. It's a purchasing statute and it sets the price at which the drugs may be purchased. So there can be no condition placed on the price at which the drugs may be purchased, irrespective of the delivery location, the temperature, the weather, the price has to be offered. Uh, irrespective. So that's the fundamental disagreement regarding the statutory silence. Just, I want to get it in there. The statute doesn't say pharmacy once. So it's a question of who may dispense the drugs. Sounds like a very interesting topic. I plan to be there. I plan to meet you guys. Um, very, very good. Um, let, let's go ahead and move on. I'd like to ask if you guys would like to give uh, some contact information. If anybody would like to go ahead and contact you guys, um, maybe LinkedIn, phone, email, whatever you prefer. Uh, Bill, let's start with you. Um, would you like to provide any contact information at this time? Sure. The best way to reach me um, is through our firm's website, um, uh, powerslaw.com. If you go there, uh, you'll find uh, links for both uh, Mark and myself. Uh, so I think that's the best way to contact us, either Uh, via email or by phone. Uh, Both of those are supplied on our website. All right, Mark, do you have anything to add on a contact ability? Uh, That's it. I I prefer uh, professional email. I concur with Bill. It's uh, either william.vonoehsen at powerslaw.com or mark, M-A-R-K dot O-G-U-N-S-U-S-I at powerslaw.com. All right. Well, we're honored to have you guys come and speak at the conference this year. And we thank you for your time today. And I want to go ahead and thank our listeners to Postscript, the American Society for Pharmacy Law's podcast. Our fall conference, Development in Pharmacy Law, is November 3rd through 6th in Naples, Florida. To see the agenda or to register for the conference, please go to ASPL.org. This is Henry Hine, your host, and we thank you for listening.